Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Hey friends, it is your host, Nikki Spo here, and it is a great day for another jam-packed episode of The No. I want to give you all a trigger warning. This episode focuses heavily on trauma and specifically sexual abuse. We also touch on thoughts of suicide. So if these serious topics are triggering for you in any way, please take pause before tuning in. With that said, today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Andrea Loeb, who is the co-founder of South Miami Psychology Group. Dr. Loeb is a licensed psychologist who specializes in the assessment and treatment of children, adolescents, and adults with a focus on helping her patients heal from trauma. While today's content is in fact a bit heavy, it is also hugely important, whether you are a survivor of trauma or not. Having conversations like the one I am having today with Dr. Loeb can be incredibly helpful, not just for those who are suffering from unresolved trauma, but also these conversations affirm the work that trauma survivors have done, as well as encourage loved ones on how to spot and identify when someone may need help. Finally, while we are definitely going to talk about Dr. Loeb's journey into this profession, there will be big takeaways, tools, tips, and tricks on how to cope with everyday anxiety, panic, fear, and coping with triggers. Here is another episode in which you may want to take notes. Thanks for tuning in to The Know with me, Nikki Spo. Let's dive right in. Hi, Dr. Loeb. I'm so grateful that we were connected and I am excited to have you on as a guest of The Know. I feel like this is a really important conversation to have and that we will be able to give our listeners some real life tools on how to cope with the day-to-day anxiety and tips to work towards healing trauma. You are a licensed psychologist in Miami, Florida, who specializes in the assessment and treatment of children, adolescents, and adults with a focus on helping your patients heal from trauma. So I think it will be important to start this podcast off by defining trauma, defining what it is, and the misconception that trauma only relates to huge, horrifying events. So as a licensed professional, how do you define trauma and how do you identify it in your patients? Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. Trauma is really interesting because as you said, a lot of people think of trauma as some catastrophic, horrific event. And while absolutely trauma covers catastrophic events, it also covers events that are outside of things we would expect. And um, not only that, but we don't have to just have trauma if we were the one who it impacted directly. There are things like vicarious trauma, witnessing trauma, even even hearing about a trauma and not even witnessing it could be traumatic and could lead to psychological symptoms that need to be addressed. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, I didn't even think about this vicarious trauma. I never even, that never even dawned on me. Can you elaborate that on that a little bit more? For example, if you had a dear friend or a family member who went through something traumatic and you have compassion and empathy for them and they tell you about their trauma, not only do you have compassion and empathy for them, but you can actually start to develop symptoms based on what they told you about what they experienced and 
how they are affected by it. And we actually see vicarious trauma a lot in, in the mental health profession as well with people who work in the trauma field, such as myself, hearing day after day um, events that go on in people's life. Um, so vicarious trauma is a very real thing. Um, and again, for something to be traumatic, you don't have to be the one who it happened to. On that note, there's a lot going on in our South Florida community right now um, with the tower that collapsed out in Surfside. And so that, I mean, I, I think it's really important for us to address that. This has had a huge impact on, on our people here. I would imagine that there are a lot of individuals going through hardship right now. Absolutely. And I think this is a perfect example of all the levels of trauma that we just touched on. Um, obviously, the people who are most impacted are the people who either survived, who lived in that building, um, have family members who did not survive. Um, but then as we go down the line, how about the neighbors? How about the people who live in buildings with the same name? Um, how about just people like you and I, who every time we turn on the television, we can't escape this thing that happened in our community. You could be someone even in New York watching CNN and could feel these traumatic symptoms. I'm seeing the things on social media. I'm seeing the news article and it's like so much for me to like absorb that I'm like turning away. I'm like saying, I can't process this right now. And on one end, I feel kind of guilty about that, right? I feel like there's some shame associated with with why I'm not able to face this and how, how maybe I'm not able to like serve in the highest way that I would like to. But it's really hard for me to look at it. It's really, really difficult. And so what about that? What do you have to say about the people who are maybe struggling to actually come to terms with even looking at it? You should feel so much gratitude for your brain because our brains are incredible and they are actually designed to protect us. So in your situation, Nikki, right now, what your brain is doing is it's saying, okay, I have a lot of things on my plate, meaning I'm almost at my tipping point. And I know that if I add this drop in the bucket of all of the things that I have going on in my life, I may not be okay. And then that may have ripple effects on a lot of things in my life, like mothering my children and a good wife and a good friend and waking up in the morning and being able to put your feet on the floor, right? And so your brain is basically saying, okay, Nikki, don't deal with it right now. It's okay. It's not, um, it's not necessary for your survival to look on social media and to find out about this. You're not in imminent danger. So your brain knows that there's no risk for you avoiding it. And it's not like you're going to avoid it forever. It's not like the second someone says Surfside, you're going to go run screaming, right? There's going to be a time when this is not such a live event with so many intense emotions attached to it that your brain will be okay dealing with it. That brings me a sense of relief because I was for a bit there feeling, I was, I was feeling a lot of shame surrounding like the idea that I should be doing something more or that I'm not doing enough or like, why can't I compartmentalize and why can't I like look at this for what it is? And so it's a relief to hear that because I think, I think a lot of people are also feeling the same way. Like it's really hard. It's been a difficult year with the pandemic and with all of the things that have been happening in our, happening in our world in, when it comes to like social injustice and everything, a lot of this stuff has been so heavy for people to look at. And it's just like one more thing and one more thing. And I think, I think a lot of us are feeling like 
we need to take some time before actually like diving deep and, and processing our feelings. So with that said, I do want to take a moment to um, send prayers um, for those who have lost loved ones. I want to send prayers to potential survivors. Um, I want to send prayers and thoughts to the first responders who are working so diligently in our community to save people and provide relief and hopefully bring th some families um, to reunite. I do want to take a moment to be able to send all of our best energy out to those people. And as we move on, um, I want to gear this episode towards providing our listeners with real life tools. I do think it's important to take a look, though, at your journey to this point. Let's hear about how you found yourself in this profession, what inspired you to pursue a career in psychology, and what made you want to focus your practice on trauma recovery. I grew up in Miami, um, and just like most people um, in any community, I had some friends who were victims of child sexual abuse. And um, I always felt so um, curious about how they were okay after events like that. And I had some close friends who shared and confided in me about, about that topic. In your young adult life? In my young adult life and actually in high school. And I didn't understand how people could survive and thrive and, and be really um, functioning and okay. And so mm -hmm. I was curious about that specifically and just psychology in general, how the brain worked. And I went to um, Nova Southeastern University. When I was in my fifth year of the doctoral program, I was um, working at Jackson Memorial Hospital and they had a child trauma clinic. And something about working with children who have experienced sexual trauma just sparked a passion inside me. Um, and that may seem like, wow, that's, that's an intense area to focus on. Yeah. And a lot of people in my field, in the field of psychology, don't touch it. Um, but really? it's actually something I'm really um, passionate about. And the reason why I'm passionate about it is the treatment modalities to work with children and adults who are victims of trauma, they work. And so it's absolutely incredible. And it's a great feeling to know that, you know, you can't control what happens in people's lives, but you can make an impact on how to move them from being a victim where they feel like something was done to them to actually thriving and surviving. And that's a lot of power. Um, and it feels really good. And I've seen so many people who come in and they don't think they're going to be okay. Um, but this field in particular, like a lot of fields in psychology, is constantly evolving and we're finding new and fun, not painful ways of, of getting someone to move from feeling victimized to feeling powerful and excited about their future. Oh, Dr. Loeb, I'm hearing you and this is bringing up so much stuff for me. I'm literally sweating right now because I have this... this this thing. It's not, it's not quite a secret, but it's this heaviness, right? Of my own personal experiences. I have not ever come right out and said it. Um, and I'm here in my mind, like I'm listening to you speak and my mind is speeding up. Should I say it? Should I say it? Should I say it? Should I say it? Do I really want to do I really want to do this? And at the end of the day, it's, this is my show and I'm 
and I'm here to help inspire all all types of people from different walks of life to stand into their to stand in their power and speak their truths. And I feel like I would be doing a disservice to this platform if I didn't come out and just say it outright is that I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Take a breath. Take a breath. I need to take a breath. I need to like I need to swing my arms a little bit. Um I've said this to people in intimate conversations. It's definitely not a secret. Um, it is very much a part of my story. And without turning this into a therapy session for me, because that's not what I want to do, I will share that it took a long time for me to even recover these memories. Um, I feel like I personally suppressed them so far back in my subconscious that I didn't actually deal with this sexual abuse until I was 26, 27 years old. And I, I did all kinds of things and I, I wish I'd met you sooner, but you know, I had tried so many different methods of help. You know, I, I've seen almost every type of psychologist. I've tried hypnotherapy. I've done, I mean, I've met with shamans. I've done spiritual work, you know, and most recently I discovered that living a life of sobriety was going to give me the best um, base to help heal myself. But with that said, after I dropped that bomb, um, how does trauma and particularly unresolved trauma affect us emotionally, but also physically? And how can it manifest in potentially harmful behaviors? Let's back up for a second. And let yeah. me just say, you just did a super brave thing. Oh my gosh. You have this amazing platform and you just took a chance, right? Which yeah. is hard, which it's, is why it's really I, hard and scary. Breath. Take a breath. And what I should have said is take a breath and pat yourself on the back because that's actually the key to healing. What's interesting is when we have a trauma, our instinct, right, is to say, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell anybody because I just want to make this go away. I want to pretend that this wasn't a part of my story and I want to live my life. Yes, right? Um, and there is some value initially to doing that, kind of like what we just talked about with the tower falling, that your brain protects you. And that's probably why you didn't recover those memories, because your brain was doing that really good work, right? But we know if, if we do that kind of put it away strategy and not deal with it strategy, it's going to come up. And that's where the symptoms are that you're talking about. So um, there are a lot of different symptoms we can have if we have unresolved trauma, meaning untreated trauma. And those include both um, personal symptoms like depression, anxiety, si situations, you know, where you don't want to be social, um, inability to trust, um, because the majority of people, at least in sexual abuse, child sexual abuse, are not people who are strangers. They are family members, they are uncles, they are coaches, they are teachers. And so they are people who are supposed to trust. So trust really gets fractured because if you can't trust the people you're supposed to trust, how are you supposed to trust everybody else in this great big world we live in, right? And, and so those are kind of internal struggles from unresolved um, trauma, but then there are also interpersonal struggles. So if you can't trust somebody, 
And if you're anxious or depressed, how do you have friendships? How do you have relationships? How, you know, so the value of getting treatment is huge. The impact on our bodies with unresolved trauma are huge. We see a lot of eating disorders. Yeah. There's a lot of um, self-injury, mm. uh, meaning cutting and things like that. Um, and and even suicidal thoughts, right? Sure. So yeah. We have two emotional areas in our body that really are impacted by life experiences. One is our upper emotional brain, which is the brain we know of. And the other one is our lower emotional brain, which is our gut and our stomach. And so that's why a lot of people with psychological struggles and trauma tend to have a lot of GI symptoms, a lot of stomach aches, a lot of irritable bowel syndrome. So um, it's not just that you have a little bit of a depression and anxiety if you don't deal with your um, trauma, but you can have that. You can have interpersonal issues, relationships with others, and then issues that affect your body and actually make you sick. Actually make you sick, like actually affect your physical body. Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's powerful. Do you feel like all traumas are created equal? If you're not trained in this field, you would think the bigger the trauma, the bigger the impact, right? Right. That's actually not the case. So I have worked with a lot of people um, who've been traumatized of all ages. I work with, you know, all age ranges, including, you know, date rapes, child sexual abuse, one-time events, chronic ongoing, right? And it doesn't really matter how quote unquote bad the trauma was. What matters is how it impacted the person. So I have had someone who had horrific, repeated sexual abuse as a child mm -hmm. do better than someone who was made to sit and couldn't get up and had to watch pornography. Oh my gosh. So one is an invasion in the body. Wow. One is exposure to something. And the person that that had an invasion of full contact sexual abuse is functioning better than the one who was made to watch pornography. Wow. People do tons of research trying to figure out what is it about someone that would make them okay with something really horrific and not okay with something um, that we would consider more on the minor end. By and large, what it consists of is two things. One is when you tell, no matter when you tell, whether you tell the next day after it happens or 20 years after it happened, whether you are believed. So if someone says, I got you, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I fully believe you. Let's take care of this. They are going to do better than someone who says, are you sure you didn't misinterpret what they did? You know, maybe they were just joking and maybe they just grazed your behind, but you took it the wrong way. That person's going to fare way worse. Well, it's invalidating, right? It's a form of invalidation. I don't believe you. I don't see you. That's not true. Exactly. Where then, like, especially for a young person who might not have the ability to articulate themselves or have the words or the, or the understanding of how to communicate these things. And mm -hmm. it's a scary thing thing to do to begin with, um, to be shut down and not believed. I mean, I, I can totally see how that would have a huge impact on a person. Obviously for a parent, finding out something terrible, let's say child sexual abuse happened to their child is the most horrible thing because 
you have feelings of guilt, rage, shame that you couldn't protect, right? But but we know as moms that you can't protect your child from every single thing, right? We do the best we can, but we can't bubble wrap them. The good news about the support factor being the single most important factor is that even if something really bad happens to our children that we had no power to control or avoid, there is a positive role we can play, which is believe your child and let them know you believe them and support them and are going to do everything you can to make sure that nothing like that ever happens. Although it's little consolation in a moment when a family's in trauma, Mm -hmm. knowing that that role can have a lasting positive impact on whether the child is okay is comforting. Absolutely. And so I love that we're talking about this from both ends of the spectrum in a way. It's like if you are the person who has experienced this abuse, but also if you are the loved one Mm -hmm. of someone who has experienced this trauma, we can have a positive impact on a loved one who may have experienced or hopefully not. But if they do experience this in the future, that they have the tools to step in and do the most effective and helpful and loving thing for their family member or loved one. So. Dr. Loeb, how do you compartmentalize all of this heavy, heavy work? It's about being able to remind myself that I'm making a positive impact. So so kind of like saying, this is so hard to hear, and I really wish this wouldn't have happened to my patient. However, I know and I have confidence in in the, the treatment methods that are that are used that they are going to be okay. So while I couldn't control what happened, I can help take part in the healing and also doing things like leaving work at work. So when I drive home from work, I go through certain rituals, like I listen to music or sometimes I sing. Um, Sometimes I look for different kinds of cars. I try and distract my mind and kind of have like what I call a bridge activity between work and home so I don't keep it swirling around in my brain because, you know, like I spoke about before, vicarious trauma is a real thing. Thank you for sharing that. What does it take for trauma survivors to heal and ultimately go on to live full free lives? When you're in the moment or when a person is in the moment of like finally having the courage to speak up against what they've experienced, it feels like everything's going to fall apart. Every, all of these big feelings are going to rise to the surface. And what do I do with them now? Depending on what type of abuse occurred, sometimes the perpetrator of the, the abuse helps with those fears. So for example, in order to not get a child to tell, a lot of times perpetrators will say things like, if you tell, they're going to you away from your family. Your dad's not going to love you anymore. Your sister's going to think this. And so they plant those fears because obviously their freedom and their name is on the line. And so a lot of those are generated by the self, right? What will happen if I tell? But a lot are also told to the victim to ensure their silence. Our instinct when something bad happens to us and our brain helps with this, right? To insulate and protect us is to not deal with it. Right. The actual treatment for trauma is to do the opposite. So instead of running away from it, the treatment is really to run towards it. Let's say it is a one time traumatic event that I'm dealing with with the patient. 
we are going to, in a very slow, careful manner with a lot of coping strategies, breathing, all kinds of things, relaxation, we are going to talk about every single minute detail of that event. That's very scary. And that sounds very scary, right? The goal behind it is to make it just words. Wow. And to detach the emotion, because right, when you go into therapy for trauma, emotion and the event are so intertwined, right? And so by telling the story and every little detail and saying it while you're doing jumping jacks and while you're walking around a room and while you're squeezing a stress ball and while you're whispering, while you're doing it with your back to the therapist, while you're doing it forward, while you're having the therapist say it, is it detaches it and it ends up just being words. I'm getting teary-eyed just hearing that. Like having it just be words sounds to me like freedom. Ultimately, that's what survivors want is freedom from all of the feelings that are associated with this, whether it's shame, being unlovable, being unworthy, embarrassment, people want freedom. Absolutely. And just so you know, I mean, yes, it does sound scary, even though the outcome sounds great, it's done in such a slow manner. So for example, we would start with the events leading up to the trauma. What kind of day was it? What were you wearing? What did you do before? And we write it down. And then we do that exact process that I told you with that. So there's nothing traumatic yet. Do it facing a wall, do it outside until that gives you no anxiety. We do it in every different way, as many times as we need to until that level goes down to a zero. Then we don't talk about the meat of the trauma. Then we talk about what happened after the trauma. Mm. And then we do that until that has a zero. I introduce some coping skills, mm-hmm. some breathing, some things like that. And then we take the trauma chunk by chunk. And it could be a sentence at a time per session. And so it could take a long time. You can imagine that I have to do a lot of talking people into this. Because yes, you know, they're I sitting imagine so. Couch, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're sitting on my couch across from me and they're like, I'm here for this trauma. When I tell them what the treatment is, that sounds horrible. So this is what I usually say. I I usually say, okay, pick the scariest movie you know and imagine um, that you have to watch it, okay? And you just don't want to watch it, so you want to avoid it. So everything related to that scary movie, you're going to avoid. Well, that might mean that then you're going to avoid the movie theater. So then you can't see any movies you ever want to see, right? And then maybe you're going to avoid any place that serves popcorn. So then you also can't go to a fair. So then it starts to shrink your world. So the reason why you have to deal with this movie that you're scared of is to have freedom to move about your world. That exposure takes away some of the the symptoms and the stress because you're getting you're separating the emotions from the event. When you say it, it makes sense. You know, it's still like one of these things, like, am I ready to jump into the the cold water right now? No, no, I'm not ready to jump into the cold water right now. And I'm scared of being cold. And then once you're in there, you're like, hey, this is water. Okay. All right. I can swim. I can swim. Exactly. Trauma wants to be processed. It doesn't want to sit there. And so what's going to happen if you don't process it is everyone has heard about post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder is, it's it's defined clinically as a re-experiencing of the trauma, right? And so that comes in the form of nightmares, flashbacks when you're awake, 
we are exposing the trauma to the light of day in a controlled way with a professional so that it doesn't have to find other areas to pop out. It's also not healthy for you to be plagued by nightmares so you can't sleep and then you can't function. So it's either deal with it in a healthy, controlled way, or it's going to come out in ways and in times that are not going to work for you. That was a lot to process, but I think it's really important. Let's get to talking about some success stories. Obviously, without breaking um, doctor-patient confidentiality, but more in a general way, what are some general examples of people being able to live these happy and full lives that we're talking about from putting in the work with a trusted professional? Some of the success stories really involve having the child or teenager or adult be able to tell someone in the therapeutic setting, I want to tell you what happened Mm. and kind of letting that the secrecy of it and the shame free Um, and being able to elicit a supportive response. Mm -hmm. We can help make that a therapeutic experience Um, because again, the worst part about trauma is keeping it inside and the Mm -hmm. secrecy and feeling like I can't even tell someone about this or tell someone how I'm feeling about it. Um, So that's where a lot of the success stories are. The other ones are really more in, in the, in the severe cases where there's ongoing abuse that happened for years and years and never having the words to be able to talk about it. And finally having that outlet and seeing the literal change in the physical presentation. So someone will come in and their shoulders will kind of be hunched and their head will be down. And that's how they tell the story. And by the end of our work together and not really even the end, halfway through, you could tell the posture is more relaxed, calm, kind of sitting on the couch in a reclined position and really seeing the relief, not only hearing about the relief, but seeing it. It's a way for people to then go on and have relationships with people and build trust um, and build respect and all of these great, the great, the beautiful things that come with having intimate relationships with people, with friends, with, with, you know, wonderful relationships with parents and colleagues and our work environment, right? Like to go on and move in a healthy way, moving forward in all areas of our lives. Absolutely. Can you share with us some everyday tools that our listeners can actually apply? So specifically when it comes to dealing with like daily anxiety, panic, fear, and coping with triggers. I like to split these up in, um, into two categories. Mm-hmm. We call them top down and bottom up strategies. So basically top down is more cerebral thinking. And then there are more bottom up, treating the impact of all of those things you talked about, panic, anxiety, triggers, trauma that occur in our bodies. Um, Because we can do all the work we want on strategies and processing traumas. But if we don't address the body, then we are not doing the work. There's a lot more interesting, fun, strategies that you can do and fun therapies that make it um, encouraging to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. It's no longer the, oh, I have to go talk about these heavy things, but we're able to do lighter things. And what we're learning is that our five senses that we learned when we were in kindergarten are really the key to helping us calm ourselves down. So our bodies love touch, smell, things we can hear, things we can taste, and things we can smell. Um, And so one of my favorite strategies, and all the listeners, I'd like you to 
follow along and do this on your own while we're doing this is called five, four, three, two, one. Five is going to be the sense that is more plentiful. So right now for all your listeners and Nikki, I want you to do this too. look around your immediate environment. Don't say it out loud. Don't point, but label five things. So for example, for me in my head, I would say, I see a lamp. I see my computer screen. I see my diploma. I see a picture on the wall and I see a blanket. So that's the five. And then four, and this one happens to be my favorite, which is um, four things you can touch. So kind of in your immediate environment, touch four things, but don't just touch them with your finger, like rub them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a blanket, a pillow, a bracelet, an earring, um, the zipper on your shirt. Okay. So that's the four. Three is three things you can hear. So I'm going to be quiet for a minute and everyone try and point out three things they can hear. Okay. Then two things you can smell. Now it starts to get more difficult as we get down. So um, it could be something that you smelled a couple minutes ago that maybe you have a lingering smell of, a memory of something like I'm remembering the smell of my coffee I had when I first opened my eyes this morning. And then something you can taste. That's the one. Now, if you have something near you like water, I'm going to take a sip of my water. It could just be you taste that you have dry mouth because you've been talking too long or you taste mint from a piece of gum you just had. So five, four, three, two, and one. And what does this do? Senses calm the brain. But the other thing it does is if you are feeling anxious, this five, four, three, two, one is a brief brain break. Your brain is engaged in that activity. And so it's not thinking about other things. I mean, this is something you could do literally anywhere. It's actually a fun game to do with little kids. Yeah. Because it gives them something to do. It's something fun. And you can actually have them do it out loud. Mm-hmm. But also teaching them a coping skill. Absolutely. Right? It's a self-soothing strategy. There's a similar one that I use, colors and numbers. Pick a number from 5 to 15. Okay? And then pick a color. So I picked 11 and blue. Okay? And you are going to look around your immediate environment And in my case, I'm going to look for 11 blue things. Oh, wow. It's the same exact process as the 54321, but you're not using senses. And it actually takes a lot of restraint to not point and not be like, there's a blue bead and there's a blue this and there's a blue that. But to actually keep your mouth quiet Mm -hmm. and be scanning your environment. Wow. The other top-down thing that I would like to to share with you is my absolute favorite. And I have been doing this for a long time. This is one of those strategies that seems so silly and so simple, but it works for things like a little fear or a little anxiety to grieving the loss of a loved one and can't stop thinking about it. This is called thought stopping. Close your eyes. Okay. And I want you to picture a stop sign. All right. And when you see it, I want you to let me know when you see it. I see it. Okay. So now I want you to pretend that I have never seen one before. Okay. And I want you to describe it to me in every detail you can think of. 
I'm on the side of the road. I'm driving in my car and off to the side in the patch of grass, I see a long metal beam and attached to it is a shape that has eight equal sides and it is has a, a white border and the in, it's about an inch wide, this border, and the rest of the center part is the color red. On this red sign are four letters, the letters S, T, O, and P. This sign means that you need to come to a halt. The word reads stop. Awesome. Okay. Keep your eyes closed for a minute. So on this this um, pole that it's attached to, is it a solid metal pole or are there some kind of holes for air to go through? There are holes for air to go through. Okay. And how is it attached to the ground, do you think? Um, I think it's just like stuck into the ground pretty far down. Okay, perfect. And the letters, the S-T-O-P, are they uppercase or are they lowercase? They're uppercase and they're white. Perfect. And then the material of the paint on the stop sign, is it like a matte red or is it like um, like a aluminum type of thing so car headlights can see it? It's reflective. Perfect. Okay. Open your eyes. Awesome. So you did a great job, but I have a question for you. What else were you thinking of while you were imagining the stop sign, figuring out what to say first, walking around it with your eyes, and then expressing it? Honestly, I was thinking if what I was going to say would sound okay. stupid. No, not at all. But that's so, what I was, was going through my mind, right? What supposed to do. So right. you weren't thinking about anything that was worrying you, right? No, no. Because your brain was completely engaged in that, in that activity. Yeah, that's what thought stopping is. I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So it is It is actually a thought interrupter. And because you're using your senses, right? You're using your visual memory to figure out how you're going to express yourself. And all of that really takes up space in your brain. Oh my gosh, a ton of space. A ton of space. So there's nothing else you can do in that moment. And now the bottom up, there were researchers who compared bottom-up strategies, which yoga happens to be one of them, compared a treatment course of medication to control anxiety, to therapy to control anxiety, to a course of yoga. And guess what? Yoga did almost as well as the other two categories. That's how important addressing your body is. And What's really good news about these bodily bottom-up strategies is not everyone's a talker. There are some people who the thought of sitting across from another human and talking about anything, mm. especially something that's so emotionally laden, um, sounds horrific. So there's actually ways that we can help heal the trauma without the person saying a word. Breathing exercises, diaphragmatic breathing is something um, that I like to recommend a lot, and I actually teach it. The next thing is called progressive muscle relaxation, and you tense and relax muscles. Um, so the theory behind this is really you can't be tense and relaxed at the same time. Mm. Right now, take both fists and squeeze them really, 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 really tight so you feel like all the tendons and everything really yeah. tight. Now relax them like you don't have bones and feel that difference. And then tighten it again really, really, really tight and then relax it. 
you can feel the difference. Squeeze your shoulders up so they meet your ears. Feels kind of uncomfortable, right? And mm-hmm. then relax them. One more time. Up. And then relax. And then the other thing is a body scan. It's not tensing and relaxing muscles. It's basically closing your eyes and acknowledging where each part of your body is making contact with the world. So for example, right now, if I was doing that and I would start with my feet, I would notice that the big toe of my left foot is the only toe that's not making contact with the ground. I kind of have it like um, flexed in a way um, and kind of like how your back feels against a seat. You know, is your is your arm resting more on the armrest on the right than your left is? And just kind of how your body exists in space. Again, kind of like those top-down strategies where you're so focused on what you're doing with your body that you're also not thinking about what else might be going on in your world causing you stress. Right. Dr. Loeb, thank you so much for this. Um, these methods. My hope is that people who are listening to this episode can like take these methods with them and apply it. I would like to close um, with how loved ones can support those who are struggling. So like, what are some ways in which people are asking for help indirectly? A change in behavior. So someone, um, whether it's an, uh, um, a husband or a wife or a teenager or a child, his personality is a certain way. And then from one day to the next, that seems to change. Um, so changes in personality, changes in kind of mood, um, and then symptoms, whether they are um, emotional symptoms, a lot of crying, or maybe avoiding something, um, or behavior problems. A lot of times, you know, kids who are being quote unquote naughty, when we look a little closer, something is going on that maybe is being missed. And it's and that because that's how kids behave, um, express themselves is through their behavior. We can see that someone is having a hard time coping. They haven't necessarily expressed it. What do we do as the loved one? So a lot of times it could be just the the mirror of saying, wow, seems like you're having kind of a hard time. Mm. Please let me know if you would like to talk or if talking to me is something that seems stressful because of our relationship, because you don't want to burden me, I will find you someone you can talk to. Thank you. Thank you. The really good news is um, these days, especially with the pandemic, the pandemic has done a lot of terrible things, but it's also done a lot of wonderful things. And one of the things is the stigma of going to therapy has really been reduced. Um, Now with being able to go to therapy over the computer in the comfort of your own home um, is so mainstream did that for over a year, um, that access to therapy is different. One of the things you can do as a spouse, as a child, as a parent is be a role model. And if you are Mm. having struggles, seek therapy yourself. You don't have to have a catastrophic event or a psychiatric diagnosis to benefit from therapy. Um, I have a private practice that I'm the proud co-owner of. It's called South Miami Psychology Group. And um, my business partner and I, Dr. Summer Sullivan, um, we started this in, in 2010. And we have 12 clinicians here, psychologists, mental health counselors. And we see very severe cases, but we also see a lot of people who just want to learn coping strategies, figure out how to be their best self. Um, so going to a, a therapy practice doesn't necessarily mean that 
you're damaged or there's something wrong with you. It could just be that you have insight into wanting to function better and that's okay. Dr. Loeb, thank you so much for this insight, for your awesome attitude and just your positive outlook on dealing with trauma. Just the way that you present information for me brings me hope and I hope that it does the same for our listeners. So thank you so much and I hope you have an awesome day. Thanks for being a guest on The Know. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.